Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Cast. I'm your host, Pierce, and alongside of my usual co-host, Jimmy, but we're also joined alongside of a special guest, Catherine Silverman. How are you doing, Catherine? I'm good. How are you guys? Oh, doing good. Doing all right. Doing all right. Yeah. All right. So with every guest we've had on the podcast, we've asked them what they've been doing during quarantine, whether that's uh, reading new books, listening to a new podcast, picking up some uh, new TV shows on Netflix. Like, how have you been doing or what have you been doing to stay sane, I guess? Ooh, uh, so I've gone through, I'd say 90% of Netflix, um, <laughs> not just English, but, uh, I, I also watch Spanish Netflix and then my friends got me into, into Nordic Netflix too. So I've like branched out into other, other languages too. Um, doubled back on some oh, of my cool. favorite Netflix, like Netflix Spain shows, um, gone through a chunk of Hulu, gone through HBO. Um, Yeah, I've I've gone through a lot of TV. Um, That's probably the strongest answer we've gotten. People are like, oh, yeah, I know. I I watched, you know, Schitt's Creek or this show or whatever. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I did that, too. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you go through Netflix. You got to go through that, yeah. Yeah, I did Schitt's Creek. Um, I did Sorianen, which is border town in English, uh, which – I feel vindicated. I, I sometimes tweet out what I'm watching to people. And uh, I said, you know, for the five of you that follow me that are from Nordic countries, I just finished Border Town and it's amazing. And Bob McKenzie apparently also watches it. So I felt a little better. Um, but yeah, I either, I either run or I watch TV. Uh, so I'm either moving or I'm completely a vegetable and uh, <laughs> I've let my daughter like completely rearrange my house. Um, really? She's, she's basically in charge of everything during, <laughs> in 2020, like whatever she asks for goes. So that's, that's been how I stay sane is not, not picking battles with a four-year-old. <laughs> I'm going to win a single one with a four-year-old. So that's smart. How's your daughter been with through all this? 
so it's funny. Kids are so resilient. She, uh, my my parents took her for for a couple months right at the start of Arizona had a big spike. Um, we live in Phoenix, um, and so my parents live in Houston. And when Arizona started to spike, uh, I still had to go to work. Um, and so they took my daughter for a couple months, and she got to live the dream as the only grandchild. So she was spoiled rotten. Oh, nice. Uh, she she got to pick out her own mask designs. My mom did some yeah. appliques on masks with her, so she loves them. She thinks that masks are, like, to her, masks are what Jordans are to teenagers. And so she she loves them. She likes accessorizing them. And uh, she, she really hasn't noticed that anything's too different um we've we've tried to make it as seamless as possible for her and uh yeah other than not not getting to go to birthday parties and stuff um but i've convinced her that parade birthday parties are the coolest thing ever i was like they're like the macy state parade but for your birthday and so she she thinks this year's been a blast she doesn't she doesn't even know <laughs> that's awesome man if only some adults were like that where they just didn't care about wearing a mask like if they, they if they look at it like oh i can wear this but look at this design if only adults were like that yeah. i love that that's awesome um what a pl- so, I mean, yeah I place where like it's not going to be forever you know you wear the mask that's what makes it happen faster so why not you know have fun with it at least you know make something positive out of it instead of always worrying about it making a fuss oh well america (laughs) (laughs) so uh i have to ask you how you got into uh, your career like how did you started watching hockey and stuff and how you got into writing and how you kind of mix the two together. Um, so I, I got into watching hockey. My, my mom's from Canada and, uh, she's from Scarborough. Yeah. She's from Scarborough. She's right outside Toronto. Um, Uh. and she, uh, her family was, they're, they're huge diehard Leafs fans. Um, (laughs) my, my grandfather told stories about, Johnny Bauer and uh, like that was that was what I grew up with was oh, sharing so cool. some of those fun stories and uh, did not become a Leafs fan. Um, I, I picked an American team, but great decision. Uh, I'd yeah, say. it in in the long run, I it paid off. Good <laughs> for your mental um, health, really. I'd say you know a little bit, a little bit. I, <laughs> I do still have. I have a Johnny Bauer figurine. My first my first jersey was a Leafs jersey, but. But yeah, so I grew up with hockey. Um, I played never, never at a super high level, but I played. And uh, when I got into college, um, when I when I got into college, uh, so almost almost a decade ago now, um, I had been uh, I, I'd written a story. Um, I wrote a thesis for for one of my classes on the economics of the lockout um, right at the end of college. Um, uh-huh. The NHL obviously didn't have didn't have half of a season, and uh, so I wrote about the the economics behind that, and wasn't really playing anymore other than like some pickup games here or there, and so I started doing just little little bits of blogging, and reached a point where I, I kind of liked doing the reporting thing, but didn't love it, and I really missed being able to coach and being able to play. And I I also coach running. I coach good form running. And so 
For a while, I worked in in hockey development. I worked with the Arizona Coyotes. That's when I first moved out here. Um, Got to to coach with their youth department. And when I was expecting my daughter, I was not physically able to go out and coach. I was uh, was a little too sick for that. And so I did more writing um, and sort of took the, the coaching aspect of what I did with the kids, the analysis and stuff like that, and tried to bring that to to what I was doing writing wise. And obviously I could probably go back to coaching at this point. I was, I was actually planning on doing it in 2020 for, uh, for my daughter as a, as a learn to skate kid. And obviously that's been, that's been put on hold for a year, but it, it just kind of the writing part just kind of stuck. I think it's, uh, you know, honestly, I think that's, it's really um, for like, people like myself and others who are, who don't always have, and especially now don't really have access to, um, you know, the ranks and, uh, you know, don't always have access to actually have played. I think it's really great to, um, I think it's really great that you're putting that out there. It's not just, Oh, I, I have this opinion on this player, whatever you actually have played the position, you know, the nuances and you can kind of give people a different view, a more intricate, um, a deeper view on these things that has some substance to it. And then that, you know, that uh, kind of bleeds into um, like rankings and how people view these players, how they look at them statistically. How, and, uh, you know, rather than just someone going, oh, well, this guy let in this, this many goals and, you know, he has these numbers. But there's so much more to that. Players, you know, fit in different systems and whatnot. They play different styles and, and whatnot. It's really cool to, uh, you know, see someone like, you know, putting that out there and actually analyzing it. That I feel like that's something that, especially with goalies, I feel like goalies aren't talked about enough in terms of style and uh, um, I guess how that affects them, you know, and, uh, and, and I guess and such. Um, yeah, and I, have, I actually have a question about that, if you don't mind. Um, I was wondering, is there a certain style that you prefer above any other um, when it comes to goaltending? And if so, like what goalie do you think like pulls it off or perfects that the best in the AHL. Oh, I absolutely do. Um, any anybody who watches goalies prolifically or who played goalie and tells you that they don't have a style that they prefer, they're they're no, a liar. No, um, I'm the same way with skating. <laughs> I played. You know, it's funny. I actually I don't mean to interrupt you, but I actually played high school. I played throughout high school, and well, concussions are what stopped me. But I didn't really um. When I got to college, all I've really done now is I'm 21. All I really did was like pickup games and whatnot, you know. Um, but there's always been like a style that I prefer, like the run and gun guy who can play defense, you know, quick shot. I feel like everybody who's played, they do have a preference whether they tell you they don't or not because they've played. They they like a certain style because they played it or they see something in someone that they want to have. Absolutely. That's uh, and and that's part of uh, when I go to do my my evaluations because I do a lot of a lot of the draft evaluations and scouting on these kids um that's actually one of the parts that when I look back at old scouting reports and sort of go through the the collection the body of work that I've I've put out there essentially I it's been a work in progress there's been growth because there is a style that I prefer and it's uh I think Henrik Lundqvist exhibits it the best. I prefer prefer inside out, you know, starting on the goal line and moving out higher. I don't like when they come too far out of the blue paint. Don't like when you overlap the posts too often. Don't like a ton of sprawling acrobatic saves. It's not my thing. Um, 
but I I had to learn to more objectively view mm-hmm. what makes the guys who do play a different style so effective at what they do. Because obviously Jonathan Quick does not play like Henrik Lundqvist. Mark Andre Fleury does not play like Henrik Lundqvist. I would um, love to hear both... your opinion on Peter Morazic then. Ooh, that's a... <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was actually talking about a. About Peter Mrazek with someone earlier today. I'm doing a oh, really? for, for elite prospects where we have the the drafted players grades that are coming out soon, and it's going organization by organization, ranking the the prospect systems, and part of that has been grading all of the goalies. And so I had 94 goalies to go through, and uh, as I was going through, I reached a point where I was just like they were all blurring together in my mind. And I was, I was talking with a friend who's playing over, over in Europe right now. He's playing in Germany. And I, I sent off a message cause he was the only person awake when I was doing it. And I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm really tired of watching these 17 year old kids from the Czech Republic who have never met a post that they didn't want to go 10 feet outside. <laughs> and Dude, he was like, yeah, please Peter don't Razzie, talk Peter play it like, like that. The blue line. <laughs> They play at the hash marks. It's insane. Like I've never – Peter Morazic is amazing to me. I don't know if you agree, but it feels like that guy can play. He is the best goalie some nights, and the others, you have an open net every five shots because he's out – like he's out of the net. He's nowhere to be seen. It's yeah. fascinating yeah. to me. Like yeah. I, I'm – It's a very prototypical – Check goaltender style, and I, I try not to box the kids. <laughs> so like Dominic Kashuk, Dominic Kashuk. There we go. Yeah. Yes. But yes. The, he's um, the one who can pull it off, though. You know, he's the guy. He he plays. Peter Morazic's a good nights. We're Dominic Kashuk every night. I guess is how I look at him. Man. A little bit, yeah. He uh, he likes to get creative. He likes to move a lot. Um, mm-hmm. his lower body agility is out of this world it's as far as the agility goes and the just the explosiveness and in his pushes and his lateral movement his ceiling from that perspective is higher than just about any other young guy in the nhl um but then his reads and his control just aren't there and some of the other kids manage to make it work um Peter Mrazek has it at times. He's just not consistent with it. And, oh, and that's, no. yeah. there, there are quite a few that are like that in the, in the prospect pool right now. Um, yeah. But yeah, having to figure out a guy like Peter Mrazek, what could make him successful looking at him versus, for example, Spencer Knight or Igor Shesterkin. Yeah. You guys who play a very different style from Mrazek, being yeah. able to objectively look at both and, and kind of see why all three of them do have NHL caliber ceilings is that that took some and it took coaching more um I've done some video coaching with kids I've done some dry land some on ice stuff uh and coaching different kids with different styles and then working with other coaches um I went to uh, a goaltending retreat in Colorado not this last summer but the one prior um this past summers got canceled for COVID, but, um, and it was just 50 different coaches, goaltenders, uh, trainers, psychologists, all in the goaltending realm. 
getting okay. together for a week, uh, doing demos of their drills, showing how they coach, uh, showing what their dryland workouts were like, doing roundtable discussions on it, just to sort of get an idea for how these different countries are developing kids and how different coaching styles are developing kids to to give more of an objective analysis of, of the players, which really is, it, it's helped because like you said, everyone who's, who's played and even those who haven't played, those who have watched for a really long time and studied the game at a high level, they have a style they prefer and getting yourself out of that, not prejudice, but out of that preference, uh, it's it's important. Yeah. What goalie watching around the NHL, which goalie infuriates you the most when you watch them? Oh, infuriates Oh, that's a good <laughs> question. <laughs> Mike Smith. That's the yes. <laughs> Hey, he infuriated us in 2012, so I think we can, uh, yeah, I think we're, we can rely on that one. We're Blackhawks fans. Yeah, he stymied us in 2012, but then we ran him out of the that's building okay. in game one against Edmonton. Oh, that was satisfying. <laughs> The Blackhawks then won two additional cups after he signed yeah, in 2012, so I don't think they can feel too bad about it. But he's he's a case of someone who, the way he plays, I do not like. He he's, plays. I, I, I like him. He's too deep, and then he comes out too far when he does play the puck. He plays it a little too often. He likes to play it behind the net. Uh, I don't like anything about his stuff. You and I, we talk about is that um, people say, man, best puck player in the league. It's like, no, he just plays. No, the, he just the plays the most. Puck a lot, he yeah. plays it a lot. He doesn't play it well though at all. Mm. God, so he's, good. he's a good puck player, but he is also an indiscriminate puck player. So you see someone like, like Corey Crawford, underrated oh, puck player, right? Let's did go. a fantastic yes. job when he did. Um, but he was much more conservative with choosing when he would play the puck. Mike Smith didn't care. Good puck playing opportunity, he'd knock it out of the park. Bad puck playing opportunity, he'd do it anyway. So. Knock it out of the net. Not going to do his own net most of the time. So... Corey Crawford, for whatever reason, over the past like few years, is he's kind of been divisive on Twitter. I think it's starting to slowly lean towards, yeah, Crawford's a good goalie, but like there was this debate for a long time: is Crawford an elite goalie? And I just want to hear your thoughts on Corey Crawford. If you're a Corey Crawford Crawford truther, or you were against him? Um. So I got. I think I probably had the most mentions on Twitter outside of when I made made a statement about uh, Mike Milbury, um, when, he, when he made some questionable comments, the only time I got more engagement on Twitter this summer was when I was listing the goalies who, have, who had just out-of-this-world playoff performances, and yeah, I thought it was oh, a it was really non-controversial list. Like, I thought it was... Oh, you'd be surprised if you bring up Corey Crawford. Oh, my God. He was. He was on my list because he absolutely carried the Blackhawks. They had no business doing as well as they did in the postseason. No No, business. They really didn't. Yeah, you you get it. Yeah, I appreciate it. And people were curious. They brought up his numbers, which his, his quality adjusted numbers were fantastic. 
Um, his longevity has been fantastic. And I, I think he's getting more love. Like you said, it's becoming less controversial. Uh, but he still, I mean, there were people who thought that it wasn't fair to bring him up with some of the others because he had, like, one bad game against the Oilers, in which five goals on 17 shots. And because Corey Crawford also allowed three or four, like, it was somehow... This fan base is, I have to tell you, this fan base is insufferable the way they treat that man because he will save them in every single way for 10 games, and then he'll have one bad game. Or even even he won't even have a bad game. He'll be shelled with shots, and of course, a few are going to go in, and all of a sudden he needs to be traded. He's awful. He's a problem. It's um, it's incredible with this guy. The <laughs> only goalie who gets more hate from their fan base for no reason is oh, I know Tuberask. I, yes, oh, yes. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. One of the best goalies ever. I don't care who says it. Some of the best numbers ever, and he doesn't get any love. I don't know if you guys saw it today on Twitter. Somebody, uh, yeah, I, saw I it. believe I saw it was uh, Marinovsky posted. Um, oh it was, here it is. So Evan Marinovsky, yep, he posted uh, in a New England sports survey, um, Bruins fans overwhelmingly ranked Tuka Rask as the Bruins player who didn't meet expectations over the past year. And I actually... I don't, I think can we just eliminate the Boston Bruins fan base. I don't. It's like the, the me. Yeah, we've moved past the need for Boston Bruins fan base. We oh, don't need them. It's it's heartbreaking to watch because Tuukka Rask loves that city and he loves that team and he he went home in the middle of a very difficult playing round because he has two daughters. The playoffs were hard. I think that a lot of players mentally struggled with it. One of his daughters what a had shocker. a medical emergency. Uh, if my child had any sort of a medical emergency, I would have pieced out so fast. Like, I can't even tell you how fast I would have pieced oh, out. And Oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. People are, people are somehow, they think that makes him not a battler for his team. And I think he did them, I think he did them a favor. I don't. I don't understand. I'm a goalie who wants to play, who's who's locked in. He let the goalie who's locked in play. Isn't that the – like, isn't – okay. It's kind of like – You would think that's being a good teammate, but but that's okay. uh, Pierce, Pierce, I don't want to get too deep. I don't know if you remember this or not, but, I I mean, I I think it was even that his daughter had something – it was like she may have had a suicide attempt, some sort of like – it was like a life-risking issue. Oh, no, 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 no. I think – I think it was it was like a medical issue. I'm pretty sure because they're like, it was something bad. Like, I, I don't think it was that, but it I, I it, that a man had to leave. His daughters are very young. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I apologize. Yeah, I, I must have gotten like a false tweet or something. Oh, that's oh, no. that's my bad. That's okay. But, no, but either way, yeah, it's incredible that it's, like the fact that it's like a, a player is human. And then the entire yeah, but then every every fan of him has to go. Oh yeah, no, you're you're a jester. You have nothing more to give in life to us. That's it. We love you. They say they love their players, but as soon as their players want to be remotely human, it's disgusting to them. It's this old. It's it's this old culture that's stuck there. I think. I don't know. It feels like it's it's really stuck there in Boston. This you know you gotta fight through everything, you know, tough, tough player, you know, no emotions and, uh, you know, big hits and, uh, you know, get just all that. Deep. Yeah. Get pucks in deep. 
you know, scream after goals, punch people in the face for no reason, don't get a penalty for it because he was a damn Chara. And yeah, that's well, that's about you're it. You're just I, going off on Boston right now. I, yeah, I fucking hate Boston. I can't. <laughs> I can't stand them. I can't. Like, he anyway. deserves better. I, you know what? Fuck it. I would love. I would love. Imagine Tuka Rask goes back to Toronto and wins the cup. Oh, oh would... <laughs> I would love that so much. God. All right. Before Jimmy gets too off the rails, um, <laughs> some, of the, some of the goalies, some of the goalies we brought up, uh, Corey Crawford, Tuka Rask, and you even brought up earlier Henrik Lundqvist. And one thing that they have in common, you even brought this up, is having longevity. And I think what's very important in being a goalie tender, especially with the, the position so volatile, some might even say voodoo wizardry and bullshit. Um, it's important to, you know, be consistent year in and year out, knowing what you're getting every game. And there are some goalies out there who are the exact opposite. I think of Sergei Bobrovsky, who oh, one season God. he'll have like a 9.35 save percentage and put up a Vezina performance, and then the next season he'll have like a, a 900 save percentage. So my question is, would you rather have a goalie that consistently puts up like a 9.15, or would you rather have a goalie that maybe a couple seasons he puts up like 9.35 save percentage, but then he kind of drops the ball and maybe only gets like a 9.05 or 9.10? That's tricky. Um... Martin Jones. In theory, I would rather have the consistency, um, but I would also i I think there's a there's a fine line there. You look at when we talk about the consistency. Uh, Sergey Bobrovsky, great example of someone who, when healthy, is effective. Um, Auntie Ranta, when healthy, oh, yes. also uh, elite. Um, I don't think he's Craig ever Anderson. had a a bad season when he's healthy. Um, And so looking at that, I'd rather have the one who's elite when the, when the condition is right, you know, when, when their environment is correct, because you can, you can work with the right trainers and you can, make sure that your player stays a little bit healthier. And that's, that's essentially what, what Sergei Bobrovsky did. He worked with a, an off ice trainer who, who helped him with some, some physical tweaks that got him to where he was in terms of his elite performance for a handful of years, wasn't able to work with him last year. And we saw his numbers fall off again. Um, But then there are guys who I, I'd much rather have someone like that than someone who's, just okay um interesting but when it comes to the talent inconsistency so a guy like uh like martin jones and mike smith are who i think of as the more inconsistent than a guy like bobrovsky or or auntie ranta because for them it's a technique thing they're either on Mm. or they're way off and when that cons- when that consistency is lacking from a technical standpoint, uh, that's a lot harder to fix because that's not to not to call it a mental issue, but it's it's a cognitive issue there. That's where they're either their focus isn't there every game, or they aren't able to get themselves into the right zone, or the effort isn't there. And I hate potentially criticizing effort level, but 
something does not remain consistent that's an intrinsic thing for your goaltender. You can fix the environment for Bobrovsky or Ronta, or you can make sure to meter their starts correctly for a guy like Tuka Rask, who, when he's overworked, becomes inconsistent. But for a guy like Mike Smith or a guy like Martin Jones, who you can't tell if they're going to be good or bad because you can't create the perfect environment for them, that's when I would say I'd absolutely take the 915 guy over them, for sure. All right, so we're Blackhawks fans, and uh, we've praised Corey Crawford a lot so far, but uh, Blackhawks let him go in free agency. I think a lot of it, definitely a lot of it had to do with money, the whole COVID situation, and yeah, blah, blah. It's still but, wearing red, black, and white. I'm so happy, man. Yeah. Uh, it's on it's, season. It's unfortunate because Crawford gave so much to the city of Chicago and the Blackhawks organization. But uh, there's three goaltenders in the Blackhawks system who are completely unproven, but do have some skill that they can prove to potentially be the number one goaltender. That would be Malcolm Subban, Colin Delia, and Kevin Lankin. And I'm just wondering how much you know about them. And if so, what do you think has the best chance to maybe take over as the number one starting goaltender or maybe the most potential Question. So, so I know them pretty well. Um, I know, I know the, I know Kevin Lankinen through. He played over in Finland um, at the same time that a couple of my buddies that I coach with did. Um, mm. I know Colin Delia through the AHL. I've uh, I've gotten a chance to talk with him a couple times in depth. Uh, I know the goalie coach down in Rockford incredibly well, Peter Aubrey. Um, I don't know as much about Malcolm Subban, although full disclosure, I did grow up a Bruins fan, so I watched him in his development years quite a bit. <laughs> I oh, just haven't cool. talked to him. Um, but it's tough because a lot of teams are moving towards a tandem. They're not looking for that clear-cut number one. They're looking for two very good guys who can mm. feed off each other, kind of look at what, what Boston did, what Dallas did with Ben Bishop and Anton Hadobin. Uh, Colorado did it with Philip Grubauer and Pavel Fransuz. Um, the Coyotes did it with Darcy Kemper and Auntie Ranta. And so I think in theory, that's what the Blackhawks are aiming for, which I would assume is going to be Colin Delia and Malcolm Subban. They both have more NHL experience. They both have a little bit more consistency when you look at their game development at the AHL level. I think Kevin Lincoln is still just a step or two behind, um, at least on North American ice. I think in international play, he's got a little bit of an edge there on those larger ice surfaces. But in North America, he's just a step behind the other two. Um, but it's tough because I think Malcolm Subban Kind of like Peter Mrazek, a guy who has a ton of raw athletic talent. Uh, his agility is fantastic. His rebound ability is fantastic. He's able to stop on a dime, head in the other direction. He's got some Marc-Andre Fleury qualities to his game. Um, Colin Delia's got he's, – he's one of the deepest thinkers in oh, goaltending yeah. right now. He's, he's super cerebral. He loves thinking about technique and – he gave me this really long-winded speech uh, one time about how you can you can train your brain to to think about things in a slower manner, and so you can process everything at a slower frame rate than it's actually happening. So if you're goaltending in the right zone, like you can really you can almost sort of exploit that. And 
feels so, like a very Colin Delia thing he'd say. It's a very Colin Delia thing to say. It was <laughs> I had to go back and re-listen to it like three times, and I'm pretty sure I still got it wrong. But he, uh, so you've got this really cerebral goalie, and then you've got this really instinctual goalie, and I think they both have a ton of potential. I think they both have NHL ceilings and NHL talent. I'm just a little concerned that the team doesn't have any significant substantial NHL experience. So you look at what mm-hmm. what the Avalanche did. It was even a little risky because they had Philip Grubauer who had a decent amount of a and they had a decent amount of NHL experience, but not as much as he could have had. And then uh, you had Pavel Francis who really hadn't played at the NHL level a lot. And so I think there's not enough NHL experience there, so you can't really shelter one of them if they struggle. But yeah, in theory, th- it should be it should be okay. Um, I don't think one of them's necessarily going to run away with it because I don't think the team wants them to. But yeah, yeah, I have a, a question about that. Do you think? You know, I, I guess it's kind of what you're saying, but I wonder. Um, I mean, I think this would work on a team, maybe like the Lightning even, or the Bruins with a solid defense. But I, I really, I guess you're, you're kind of saying it, it feels like they're really throwing them to the Wolves. There's no, Duncan Keith is not in 2014 mode. Brent Seabrook is a shell of himself. Calvin Dahan gets injured all the time. Adam Bofist is, was thrown to the Wolves and is still struggling to get his feet on him. I mean, you know, I can't see any good outcome with this because – you know, these are two raw young goalies and you have nobody in front of them to allow them to develop. I mean, unless one of them just magically turns it on because they, they're better facing more shots. I mean, I've heard Subban's like that. I've heard that he he's better when he faces more shots. But, I mean, aside from that, I can't think of any um, like any way that they don't get completely torn apart, not even to their fault because they're being put in this awful situation. That's going to be that's going to be the trickiest part next year is like you said the the defense is not good. It's not a particularly conducive environment for for them to potentially make that's mistakes. A much fancier way will. to say that. Thank you. That's, I'm, I'm trying to be as nice as possible about it. And and that's the toughest part is you see goalies uh young goalies are going to make mistakes and I don't see the team being able to clean up for those mistakes over a right. long period of time. And if you let the goalie start to start to panic a little bit instinctively when they're in, uh, there, there's a sports psychologist who works with a lot of goalies, Andy Swarty talks about the changed state. It's when you're, when you're facing a really adverse situation, you start to panic and you don't make the most rational decision anymore. And you slip into just your instinctual way of playing or, or running or being. And so, Interesting. In theory, those goalies, when they start to panic, they make a mistake, allow a bad goal, allow the go-ahead goal, whatever. Yeah. They're more likely to slip into bad habits if they haven't fully cemented their good habits yet. And so developing goalies, they're kind of at risk for that. Those Mm -hmm. those younger goalies who haven't gotten a chance to really rep the good habits yet. And Colin Daly has gotten more of a chance to do it with Peter Mm -hmm. Aubrey down in Rockford. But there's a chance that they'll slip into those bad habits and then you don't have someone to come in and really pick up the pieces for them while they reset themselves. And so that's, that's going to be the biggest risk. Um, It was a risk for Colorado last year. They, 
had two goalies who hadn't quite hit all of those NHL reps yet, and it worked out. It panned out for them. Um, we'll see if it pans out for Chicago. Chicago doesn't necessarily have have Colorado's defense uh, as delicately so. as I can put that. Um, yeah, but yeah. I, I'd have there's to... also there's less pressure there, right? Yeah. So. Okay. I have to ask you one very important question, perhaps the most important question so far, most important question so far. What did you think of Scott Foster's performance when he stepped in a few years ago? <laughs> that was tough. Um, I thought he was, I thought it was a really good feel good story. Um, I thought it was kind of a bummer because Colin Dilly was doing a very good job. Um, and then unfortunately was dealing with some cramps. So his NHL debut kind of got oh, overshadowed dude. by an That's even right. more exciting right. story. Oh, was yeah, that first start? Everybody's like, oh yeah, that was his first NHL star. Uh, <laughs> I completely so forgot that about been, that. Like, wow. Night, and then it became mm-hmm. Scott Foster's bigger <laughs> night. And then um, Delia just got torn apart by the avalanche a couple nights later because of course, yeah, hockey. And Black so it was Hawks, for, yes, exactly. for Hawks fans, that was a that was a feel good story, and that was that was a tough year for the team. They were obviously dealing with a with a really tough prolonged Corey Crawford injury. Um, oh yeah, the, year the, the team was the team was kind of coming to terms with the fact that the playoffs were not really a thing that they were going to be experiencing in the near yeah. future. Um, and so it was, a, it was a tough year. Um, so it was nice getting kind of a fun story in there that had nothing to do with with potentially tanking or with, oh, yeah. you won a game, but that puts you farther away from a top pick. You know, it was, it was yep. just a fun yeah. story where how many how many beer leaguers can say that they've stopped a Patrick Line shot? That's exactly <laughs> what I'd say. It's Patrick Line. Like, I don't think he's a good all-around player, but, man, he can shoot. You can shoot just as well as anyone, really. Exactly. It was the first game I had watched in a long, long time that felt just like it was just full of joy. Everyone was happy. And yeah, it really does suck for Delia. Yeah, that really does suck when you think about it and you look at that part of it. Um, fortunately for the fans, at least, it was like, hey, there's finally something like almost just like um, almost unrealistically positive. I don't think I've ever watched a regular season game that was. Uh, that surreal it was the closest thing we i feel like we had to the playoffs in terms of excitement back then at least that's i'll speak for myself there really and it was i mean if if anybody's going to have their their nhl debut overshadowed by that uh i think colin delia was a very good candidate because he personality wise it didn't rattle him i think he was as excited for scott foster as everyone else was um, cause he's, he's just a really good team player. Um, Adelia, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I think, I think it didn't bother him. Um, but yeah, it was, I, I had truly like, I'd been assigned to that game. I was working with the athletic Chicago at that point and oh, no <laughs> I, uh, so I'd been assigned to that game cause I had, I'd done some work on Delia. I'd done some analysis, done some video. And so I was going to watch his NHL debut, write a thing on it. And then and break it down and we had to change that story like with 15 minutes left in the game (laughs) and so we had to completely scrap it move it for like another day and get something else out entirely because 
because it had just totally turned it on its head. So. Yeah. All right. So um, you said you did uh, uh, goaltending like prospect profiles for draft eligible goaltenders, and I'm just wondering if there's maybe a goaltender that we don't really know much about that you've looked at and said, holy, this guy could maybe be a superstar, or at the very least be a starting goaltender that we don't really know about. Is there any uh, goaltender kind of out there that we don't know about that fits that profile? Um, not necessarily for the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, or I meant, I meant just to, yeah. you know, <laughs> to, to the Blackhawks and, and Dominic Mass. Um, wow, I can't believe that Matt Tompkins isn't going to win a visit. Yeah, sorry, I but meant just like in general. Like, in, <laughs> fairness to, in fairness to Matt Tompkins, that's a great really guy, great kid. Who, uh, he can fight, doesn't he? Yeah, and he's apparently their hardest worker when it comes to like the fitness testing and stuff. He awesome. comes in every year ready to like blow everyone out of the water. But in terms of prospects that have been drafted that really aren't getting enough attention, um, I think because uh, hmm, we all know about Yaroslav Askarov, Igor Shosturkin, uh, Spencer Knight. I think not enough attention has been paid yet to uh, Joel Blomqvist um, out of Finland. Ooh. He's one of the two guys drafted by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, uh, they did the something really... at forty-six. I thought they were going to take him. I thought I thought the Blackhawks needed him, and then Pittsburgh yes! didn't think needed a young goalie. Uh, took no. two they took Joel Blomqvist and Cal Klang. Best player available though. Fantastic. I think they're both. Wait, they took two goalies. They did, yeah. and they took them back-to-back. Like the... <laughs> I did not. I, did, I missed that. Well. Yeah, I think they took them like a couple spots, maybe 10 or 15 spots apart from each wow. other. Christian um, Jari is shaking. But they're both very clearly NHL caliber talent. They're both uh... guys that I would see going on to be NHL goalies in the future. I think... Uh, I think we aren't giving Lucas Dostal enough credit. Yes, he's, that's uh, he's what a guy I was thinking about. Yeah, who's been playing in Finland? Yep, yep. he's. Uh, he's I do not know who that is, but I sure, sure, yeah, sure. And uh, he's if you if you look up, he plays for Ilves, which uh, they have uh, Matthias Michelli and Barrett Hayton for the Coyotes right uh, now. Um, Kelly is underrated. Like he has some good stats. I was looking at like the Liga stats because a lot of players have been playing over there. Like he has really good stats, and he had good stats last year too with Finland or in Finland, I should say. Yeah, they've got some some really good players that are that are sort of sneaking around over there in Finland. But uh, Lucas Dostal has been at his age group. He's been head and shoulders above everyone else in Finland. Like even above the older goaltenders, he's been just pacing the competition and Anaheim's a team that they are very clearly rebuilding. Um, I don't think they're entertaining any possibility of the playoffs next year, Uh, but they have John Gibson and then they have a mentor type and Ryan Miller. who have Jesus in that. That guy is a monster. (laughs) Holy, I, oh my God. I'm sorry. Can I talk about John Gibson for a minute? Absolutely. (laughs) I, okay, because that's the guy who is insanely – okay, so we talk about Pierre Morazic, right? Super aggressive, super aggressive, and, you know, like flailing kind of saves and whatnot. John Gibson does that perfectly. Like he knows where to be. He knows when to be calm. He knows when to make one of the best saves I've ever seen. He's almost like a mini Hashik 
in my opinion. He's he and he's not on a good enough team, so he's not going to be appreciated enough. Like I saw this guy live have Kane have an open net and just go across casually and spin his body like a like a fidget spinner and kick it out out of play. Like I I, I he's made saves that I, I I've never seen any other goalie make. It's 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 insane. He's otherworldly, and I feel like if he was on a better team, he would be winning Vezinas year in, year out. I don't know about it's, you, but I just... Ugh. It's kind of funny because John Gibson has that elite level agility that you see from Peter Morazic, but... He uses it, right. And now, now that marijuana is legal in Illinois, <laughs> Arizona, and California... I would love so to hear where this goes. Saying it, he looks like he is baked every single game. <laughs> He'll make like this crazy split save. And then just sort of sleepily get back onto his skates and toss the puck at the rough. Hey, I, I hit my pen like crease. before this episode, so we're not we're good with the marijuana part of things. We're okay. He just he looks stoned, and his <laughs> interviews always sound like like I don't know if you guys have since this is this is Blackhawks fans. I don't know if you guys have had the misfortune of listening to Dylan Strong give an interview. Um, oh my god. You have to slow it down by like 14 times just to get it slow enough to hear what he's saying. And John Gibson's the opposite. He talks like the sloth from Zootopia. And so it's amazing to see that agility combined with that behavior. He really is like the beer leaguer who's better than everybody else who comes in. Just just like, fuck it, man. I'm just going to, you know, like... (laughs) Yeah, the, the guy, the guy, you just slap in there to like, you, you know, kill everybody while you guys slack off because that's what the Anaheim Ducks are really. That's what he is to them. That's incredible. It's it's <laughs> funny because he does that at the at the NHL level, and <sighs> part of it is I think his reaction timing is not as good as his physical speed is, and mm. and that's okay because I think he's a really good tracker, um, mm. which is how he's able to make some of those really great first split saves and and he's got the flexibility for it but then sometimes getting back across the crease like if you get him moving too far side to side he slows down a little bit because I think his reaction timing is a little laggy um Mm -hmm. but he's I mean because he's baked what are you gonna do (laughs) (laughs) I feel so bad saying that because by all accounts he's a great guy um I don't oh, think hey. um, he's showing up to games big. He's, I have a I good. have a good feeling that the NHL goalie who makes millions a year won't be offended by your he comment. Won't care. But no, he, <laughs> He'd probably he's say incredible. yes. He's incredible and, and and he doesn't get enough love. Uh, no. he did for a while. He seemed like he was really gonna start getting enough appreciation when it was him and Frederick Anderson yes. together in Anaheim and because that was, that was the a defense game. was good. <laughs> Yeah, and then they the casual well, fan does not understand this. They brought in Randy Carlisle, and then the yeah. team oh, I forget about this. He's literally a rope and dope coach. He's literally he a rope and dope coach. This is why, like James Reimer, James Reimer was making forty-seven saves night in, night out. Because hey, that's on, how Carlisle. You won plays. a Stanley Cup, though. Come on. It's not like you had uh, Jaguar or Pronger or Niedermeyer. Or oh, you're, no, guys. you're right. You're right. I know. Carlisle's a cup winning. You're, you're absolutely right. He's a cup winning coach. So, therefore, he's better than 90% of the, the innovative coaches. Absolutely. <laughs> On the topic uh, of uh, Jaguar, 
Did you did you ever get to live that um uh, that two thousand three performance that he put on? Because I unfortunately was a little too young for that to happen. But my dad that, like, is a huge yeah. Devils fan, and he's like, man, Jagger like deserved like like he was like like uh, I forget what exactly what he said, but he's like Jagger totally deserved that Conn Smythe because he did win the Conn Smythe that year. He's one of the few like players to ever win it on the opposite team, and I'm just wondering if you like remember that or that crazy Jagger yeah, he got it later, but uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I do, and I, I have, I have yeah. kind of a bittersweet relationship with that because I agree. I think yeah. he's one of the few players who, who did deserve it. Um, but then on the other end of the spectrum, I think it's unfair that he did win it, and Henrik Lundqvist against the Kings did not. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's oh. my that's my hot take. I I I am. Oh my god. Ah, that stinks. Longfist was great, but like, if you the, that's your gear run. Like, I looked at the Minnesota series, and I think he had three straight shutouts to open up the series, and Minnesota <laughs> only scored one goal on him. Like, it was like he willed them to a Stanley Cup. Like, Longfist was incredible that year, but. Just to put it like Jagger was on another level on that year, like in two thousand three, it was crazy. Oh, I don't, man. Uh, it's it's incredible how the entire league, the entire league, loves Henrik Lundqvist. Everyone is sad when he loses. It's not like half the league is like, you know, fuck that guy. No, everybody is hurt for Rangers fans. Remember, everyone is sad except for the small club of Rangers fans who get together and drink with. The group of anti Tuka Bruins fans. Uh, yeah, they can right. fuck off. Whatever. I don't. Yeah. Because there's a there's a group of Rangers fans who very much did not like Henrik Lundqvist. <laughs> the, I remember I in mean, that they double. Not be allowed to watch NHL games. I remember in that double oh overtime game five against LA. LA put out a tweet. It was like stupid sexy, stupid sexy Lundqvist instead of. Stupid, <laughs> sexy. <laughs> I always remember that tweet, and it's like the league just has so much respect for Longfist, and man, if he's gonna win a cup, I hope Washington wins the cup this year. It's it's gonna be so weird seeing him in a Washington. You um, you you mentioned how John John Gibson is um is uh, baked every game. I feel so is John Carlson. John Carlson, yes, he is. (laughs) But I think that Henrik Longfist, in a good way, is the complete opposite. Like I've that man. I've never seen a man so passionate about stopping pucks the way he is. It's I don't know. Have you looked into Mike Smith's eyes? <laughs> oh my God, yeah, no. I'm passionate about passing the puck to other teams. That's about it. You know, he just, he's a friendly guy. He's a, he's, a, he's a selfless guy. I can appreciate that. He's a Canadian. Hey, he won oh. an Olympic gold medal in 20. Oh, you're right. So, therefore, he's better than half the league. <laughs> oh, my God. The amount of times I hear you know, Stanley Cup or gold medal winning, and I'm like, yeah, just shut the fuck up. <laughs> Oh hey, Lundqvist won a gold medal though. I remember that in 2006. His counts. His counts though, because yeah, he's, was, he yeah was because Henry, wait, wasn't he like a rookie? I think it was his first year in the NHL in 2006. Oh, 6 I think was his <clears> first year. God, and it was just crazy how consistent he was. I have nothing but respect and love for Henrik Lundqvist, and I hope he gets a chance at the Cup in Washington, even if he's like a up. Catherine, I think you'll appreciate this. Anybody would. I mean, but you said you really like Lundqvist uh, a lot in his form specifically. Um, I was listening to a Spit and Chicklets podcast. I don't really listen to many of theirs. Um, but I, I, I was, it was Lundqvist. So I'm like, you know, it's Lundqvist. I want to hear the man talk. He's a great interview. Um, 
And the one moment I realized that he is the hockey version of Jesus Christ incarnate is when they asked him where, like, where he gets his haircut to, uh, you know, look the way it is, and he goes, "Oh yeah, no, I just go to the you know, ten dollar guy down the street." I was like, "Yeah, that is." If that's not the strongest, most subtle but badass flex I've ever heard, I don't know what is. That's an enormous flex. That's a that's a tremendous flex. Yeah, and I like looked in the mirror and I'm like, man, I really need that ten dollar haircut right now. Oh my god. Right? god. Uh, some some people are just they're born with it, and clearly he's, he's one of those. He just he's. I can't think about a single thing I don't like about that man, and I'm just amazed by it. I don't know what a guy. But uh, man, moving on from goaltenders because Catherine, I swear, um, I need to. I need to get baked with you and just on a phone call and just ask you about every goalie in the league and what wow, you Wow, leave me out. Man. Right. Pierce, fine. You know what, man? You, you too. I forgot you guys have my, too. My, my whole country has it legalized. <laughs> yeah, you guys are a couple steps ahead of us. Yeah, just a little bit. A little bit. Because, oh my God. Yeah, Catherine, I just have to say, like, you know, not, we're not done, obviously, but I have to say I madly appreciate your view on goaltending and all the, yeah, just every, all the. I've never had this insight on goaltending before. I yeah, it's it. incredible. It's because that's something nobody talks about um, in terms of uh, evaluation. It's people. Because so really many people it. just label it off again as like volatile and then voodoo wizardry and bullshit. Like that's yeah. literally what people label it as. as. I appreciate people who can actually like go in depth and analyze it. Yeah. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I have to ask you, Catherine, um, or Pierce, um, I think you, uh, want, it was the, uh, about Arizona, their situation. You want to get into that? Cause that's very interesting. Oh, uh, sure. You want to bring that up? Sure. Sure. Um, so yeah. Catherine, <laughs> uh, yeah, a little hot potato there, but, uh, Catherine, uh. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, you, well, I'm guessing you, uh, you know, you follow the coyotes quite a bit. I, I think you mentioned you, uh, you coached there a little bit in terms of like youth development and whatnot. Yep. Okay, so <clears throat> so I was wondering with the Coyote situation, you know, with John Chaka um, being fired in a very weird situation with the, uh, oh my gosh, with the, um, oh, I can't, oh, the prospect scandal, right? And, uh, you know, the loss of draft capital. With it being such a weird, uh, just, I mean, pretty, um, I mean, messy, just very unique situation. Where do you think they can really even go from here? Well, so so just to just to clarify, they didn't fire him. He oh, he walked away. Yes. Yeah, yeah. they they ended up. He he had another opportunity that he was pursuing. Um, you left right before the bubble, I think. Like yeah, right, right before the bubble. Um, yeah. and it was it was kind of funny because he hadn't been involved in the drafting situation. Um, that had been oh. somebody who worked as a fitness tester for the team who was doing it apparently without the knowledge of anyone else within the team. He was doing oh, it like wow. independently. Yeah. And so Terrible. that, that individual is no longer with the team. And I believe he wasn't at the time that they started investigating, but uh, oh, in any case, God. I mean, they did, they, they ended up losing some draft picks. They kind of went all in this last year, which I know is kind of it's it's been a little bit of a polarizing topic in Arizona because I like I appreciate that they did that. I think we for the first time I I moved here in 2015. Um, I've been covering the team 
with the exclusion of the year that I covered the Blackhawks in 2017-18. I've been a credentialed member of the Coyotes media every other year. Um, and so I've covered them through some decent attendance and through some not-so-decent attendance. They're... <laughs> To be perfectly honest, their uh, their 2014-15 season was a travesty. And then their 2015-16 season, they surprised a little bit, but fell pretty short. And so oh, yeah. they took these season. ups and downs. Yeah, when, when Domi came in and when Duclair oh, came Duclair, in. Oh, my God, oh, he scored four and so, goals and whatnot. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and so they this past year, obviously their, their consistency wasn't uh, there yet. They... They fell off towards the end of the season. I think that they were kind of given the grace of God there, so to speak, with uh, with the COVID situation because I don't think they would have made the playoffs. Ah, uh, probably not. Uh, with the Blackhawks. Yeah. Uh, well, a little different. The <laughs> like Corey Crawford. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, the, the Coyotes had come literally within a single game of making the playoffs the year prior. Um, they... They literally lost out on the playoffs because of Jack Campbell. He played out of his mind. Their game 81 was against the LA Kings. Um, They took something like 45 shots against poor Jack Campbell in the first two periods, and he stopped all of them. He allowed one goal. Was this last year? This was, no, this was the year prior. And so in game 81, Jack Campbell had such a good game that the Coyotes lost it, and by virtue, the Avalanche took that second wild card spot. And so they were so close, and their attendance last year reflected it. They were finally a competitive team. They brought in Phil Kessel. They really pulled the trigger, brought in Taylor Hall, too. Um, and so they were a competitive, fun team. They weren't consistent, but they were competitive. And so they had sellouts. They had big crowds. People were investing in the team. And then the pandemic hit, and they had their play-in round. And they did so well against the Predators and then just got trucked by the Avalanche. They got schooled. How much um, of that was Darcy Kemper, though? He was incredible. Oh, I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, on no, that. Not as much as... I, I think a lot of that, the team the team has a very good defense, uh, as Blackhawks fans probably know all too well. Nicholas Jalmerson <laughs> yeah. is, is a oh. defender. Uh, Darcy Kemper works incredibly well within the Coyotes' defensive system. Incredibly yeah. well. And then when it starts to fall apart, unfortunately, so did he. Um, he got tired towards the end of the Avalanche yeah, run. I could totally tell that. Yeah. And uh to keep yeah, up when he, you're playing it's Nathan McKinnon for a whole series. Exactly. And that whole team. <laughs> and that's that's a team that really they were still in their learning curve. So the yeah. fans got playoff hockey and then they're gonna have to do something. They're gonna have to figure out what to do with uh with the fact that really they, they don't have any prospects from this draft yeah. ahead of the fifth round. Um because unfortunately they wasted their fourth round pick on on a player they probably shouldn't have. Yeah, and, yeah that's a whole thing. Yeah, that's yeah, terrible. Yeah. And, and so I think that the John Chica situation, that happens. Teams yeah. lose GMs for other opportunities right. all the time. And so I think it played out a little too publicly. I think it probably wouldn't have played out as publicly in a non-pandemic year because the time that he left would have been 
the middle of the slow off season. Right. So they wouldn't have time for other things. And at that point, this pandemic hold had really been dragging on. And if he wanted to move on, he had to pull the trigger at some point. Um, I think both sides could have handled it a little better, but yeah, Armstrong, who I think is fantastic. Statement um, a little uh, interesting. Yeah, that wasn't in, and, and that was a misstep, which I think teams of like that. A... I don't think it was, but it certainly wasn't a situation where they have nowhere to go from here. They have sure, sure. They have good players in their system. They mm-hmm. have Bill Armstrong at the helm right now. I think he's a very good. GM candidate for them to have leading things moving forward. Oh, who do they have a GM? Bill Armstrong. Oh, I for some reason, oh, Steve Sullivan's the assistant, isn't he? Yes. yes. Okay, he, I swear to God, he was, was the main. No, he, he, was he, was the he was interim. Okay, was that's. Interim. Look at me, not know my facts. Wow. And he's he's been the GM for the Tucson Roadrunners for the last couple of years, ah, and yeah. they've been a powerhouse in the AHL. So I think they've got. They've still got good minds within right. the system. It's they didn't quite. I mean, they didn't win the Stanley Cup last year. That's the ultimate goal, but I don't think that was a realistic goal for them. They sure, sure. had fans in attendance. They got fan interest. They developed some of their players. They made the playoffs. So I, like I don't that. think. There, like, there are teams that I think are in dire straits right now. Um, the Ottawa Senators <laughs> would be number one, but I don't think the Coyotes. I think they're they're a question mark. I think sure. it's going to be important to see where they go from here. But I don't think there's there's a ton of panic needed yet. I think, okay. I think they're definitely in. Yeah. In an okay situation. With everything happening, and it wasn't yeah, like you said, it's like you know teams lose GMs and those things happen. I think uh, from an, like from my perspective at least, and you know not exactly the most educated on this team, but I think that um, it just looked like there was just so much so much commotion at once, and it, it's like you said, this fitness trainer that is not even you know with the organization, nobody knows about this, and this kind of messy um, breakup between. You know, Cheka and the Coyotes, and then there's the whole Miller situation. It was just kind of, uh, you know, just sort of all at once kind of thing, you know, and, uh, you know, just a very, uh, okay, yeah, no, just a very, uh, you know, just like all at once. But, yeah, I, I guess you're absolutely right that, yeah, I guess at the same time there's, you know, yeah, not exactly, uh, you know, too much panic you need to be had. Yeah, there's, I mean, I think they need to – they obviously need to be cognizant of the fact that they have momentum from the last couple of years. They came so close in 2019, and then in 2020, they did manage to make the first round of the playoffs through that play-in round. And so they have momentum that they need to build on. They can't take too much of a step back right now, but I don't think that, you know, they're not a team that hasn't made, like, the Buffalo Sabres, that's a team that should be very worried. That's a team that hasn't made the playoffs in almost as long as the Coyotes had at that point. And then they didn't make the playoffs this year either. That's cause for concern. They have Taylor Hall now, so they're taking the right steps forward. But that's that's alarming. When they didn't make the playoffs, that's a red flag. I think the Coyotes, they achieved the goal. You know, they... 
hadn't made the playoffs since 2012. Their attendance had been lagging. They got a new ownership group. They brought their attendance up. They finally met expectations and they hit that playoff round. And so they have to maintain that momentum. But I, I definitely think that it was the most Coyotes thing ever that everything happened during the pandemic year. So we didn't yeah, have unfair. other it's things unfair. happening at the same time. So it was yeah. a little bit more amplified, I guess. Is, like you said, it was all sort of happening. It seemed like it was all happening at once. Uh, there wasn't a whole yeah. lot else going on. So I know. I felt like it was like the um, I feel like the Simpsons kid where I'm like, stop, stop. He's already dead. It's just like, <laughs> it's so unfair. Like they, it wasn't like they were, um, What's the word? It wasn't like they were uh, trying to do these. It wasn't like it was you know this the the organization is trying you know, doing these awful things and you know they the entire organization is testing players and whatnot. It was just this. Uh, ironically, when they lose to them, it was just avalanche of just random little things happening, and you know it's just so it's just just constant bad press. It was almost like yeah. to a lesser extent the Ottawa Senators from a couple of years ago, where it just seemed like every oh bad story was coming out for them, and yeah. I don't know. I really hope they turn it around, though. Like I, I love Nick Schmaltz. I love Jacob Chikrin a lot. I, I, I think Kessel. I think if they find a guy to fit with Kessel, I think they can really get him going. I think that's a big thing with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just love the pieces around them. Like I really think they could do something. I think it's just you know a matter of when and if they just get that that big piece for their team. You know, I think they need that 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 star. That's what you they're know, I think, with Taylor Hall, but I don't think that really worked out there. I think they need a center. Or, I mean, these are financial terms. Yeah, I guess Catherine, you know more about that. What do you think they really need to take that next step um, in terms of you know, like you know, being a consistent playoff team and whatnot? I think they need to see some of those players take a take a step forward. I look at the the Colorado Avalanche from 2016-17 and then 2017-18, and so yes. in 2016-17 they had a lot of the same pieces that they do right now. Mm-hmm. They had Nathan McKinnon. They had Gabriel Landeskog. Uh, they had Eric Johnson. They had Tyson Berry. Ranton, they had Semyon Varlamov. Like, <laughs> they, I, I don't know how they were so tragically bad. Um, and the Coyotes weren't last year, and that's the thing. The Coyotes had some players who minorly, inconsistently underperformed. A lot of it was injury. They, uh, they lost Nick Schmaltz. They lost him for essentially the entire home. year. And yeah. so he didn't get to take his step forward. Um, Jacob Chickren had an injury at one point. Uh, Darcy Kemper was injured for a while. And when he wasn't injured, Andy Ronto was. Um, oh, <laughs> they sort He's of traded off there for a little bit. And so I think, but that being said, that's an excuse too. So I think... Uh, Clayton Keller, he started off really strong. He showed that he's very clearly got the NHL talent. He has to do what Nathan McKinnon did. Nathan McKinnon was immensely talented and just couldn't put together a consistent season up until 2017-18. And then he finally put it all together. And Clayton Keller needs to take, if not at that extent, because I think that's that's wishing for a lot, um, he needs to take that kind of step forward and then you need to see Nick Schmaltz healthy over an entire season because we haven't seen a full year of him with Arizona yet Um, I feel like he and Chikrin are guys who if they can just get a full season in they're going to be tremendous I think those guys are just 
oozing with skill. Uh, I mean, honestly, I love Schmaltz, but especially Chikrin, man. That guy can play. Chikrin's a monster. He's, he's incredibly <laughs> talented. He's so good offensively, and then he'll blow you up in your, you know, his own end at the same, you know, you know, 30 seconds later in the shift when you have the puck. Like, he's – God, he's – I hate watching him play against the Hawks. That's I think that's the best way I can put it. When I hate you know when I hate a player playing against my team, that's when I know that they're. That's when you know they're good. Yeah, yeah, because you really got, hate them. Yeah. And they've got they've got Connor Garland too, who oh, very Connor underrated. Garland was a was a slow build. He he, yeah. he was fantastic in the QMJHL. He didn't quite get it game wise away from the puck, and sure. so. He had to hit the AHL first. He had to develop his game away from the puck, had to re reimagine his speed and his spatial awareness on the ice. Uh, once he figured it out in the AHL, though, they brought him up to the NHL, and he's been fantastic. And so oh, yeah. I think if you get him with a healthy schmaltz, Clayton Keller has to put it together a little bit here at some point. And then you have, you have Jacob Chikrin, you have some other young guys coming up. Uh, Christian Fisher can still probably take another step or so forward. I don't think yeah. he's on the same level as the others, but he's a good quality, heavy-hitting depth option. Uh, you've got Lawson Kraus. Lawson Kraus is an unbelievable two-way player. Doesn't really? get nearly enough credit for just being good at helping contribute to the plays. He's really good at setting things up. And Sounds he's like, quiet uh, about it too. A lot like Marcus he's, Foligno, a guy who's just a monster defensively. He won't do too much offensively, but man, is he just a tank in his own end. And that's that's kind of what Kraus has been. Although he's been taking some offensive steps forward too. Uh, yeah. Taking a look at his numbers really quickly, he he had five goals in his first NHL season, which was directly out of uh, out of the uh. NHL. Panthers and then people who knew. Then his second year, he he essentially got sent down to the AHL for the majority of the year. They said, you know, this is not a year that we're looking to be number one, so we're going to give you a chance to develop in the minors. Put up 32 points in 56 games. Yeah. His second year, he that essentially he played a full season. He had 81 games, 11 goals, 25 points. That's mm. that's decent third line mm. production uh especially for a kid who was he was 22 at the time mm. and then last year he was 23 put up 15 goals in 66 games so he was creeping oh. closer to hitting that 20 goal mark and so that's well i did not know about that 15 goals that was quiet that was very quiet. yeah and that's the yeah. thing he's quiet he's not he's not a player that you notice a ton he's just He's there. He gets the job done. He's not flashy about it, but he's yeah. not making any glaring errors either. So he's not a guy that we say, oh, he's terrible defensively, but but at least you put up 15 goals. He's he's doing yeah. a pretty good job defensively. He's been on the penalty kill a lot, and then he's also putting up 15 goals. So Sounds a lot like Nicholas Jalmerson offensively. You, never, you didn't really ever notice him unless he was blocking a shot, but that's the best thing about him is he just he gets it done. I, I exactly. I'll have to look out for him more. I'll have to watch, uh, look out for him more a little bit when he's playing. I believe Arizona acquired him by taking on Dave Bowen's contract. So, oh my God. Did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They did. 
It's crazy because Arizona has, has had all these connections with making trades with Chicago, whether it's the uh, Jalmerson for Murphy, Murphy, the panic for DeClaire, the Henestrosa going to um, uh, Arizona to take on Marion Hosa contract. Like, there's just a ton of history there. And I'm that's a question I want to ask you. Uh, they didn't re-sign Vinny Henestrosa. Like, what oh. what happened there? Because he had a first good season. I'm just wondering what happened in the second year and if, how things kind of fell apart there. Uh, that's, that's kind of tough. I don't want to, I don't want to disparage because I think his development could still take another step forward. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm rooting for him in Florida. That's for sure. He's, he can be fast when he wants to be, which is not always. He can be <laughs> offensively dogged when he wants to be, which is not always. Um, uh, and he can be yeah. a fun playmaker when he wants to be, which is not uh, always. So he uh, went through these spurts where he just wasn't wasn't playing well and I I try not to disparage the players during the season because everyone has off games but yeah definitely we were sitting there and I I sit by Craig Morgan at the games and we were both watching him and we were we were just trying to figure out what he was missing and he just wasn't wasn't playing to expectations and so he was getting benched at times he was getting moved down to the fourth line didn't seem super thrilled about it. And instead of taking a step forward, he kind of took another step back. Um, and yeah. it's funny because he, like you said, his second season, he had 16 goals, 39 points, 72 games. Wasn't That's really a particularly good, good two-way player. Um, yeah. He reminds <laughs> me of Victor Arvidsson if Victor Arvidsson didn't give a shit sometimes. And I love Vinny Henestrosa, but yeah, he's so oh, inconsistent. Yeah, and so... His, his agent took a gamble. He said, you know, he scored 16 goals in his first full season with Arizona. We're going to take a gamble. They didn't. The Coyotes were locking up guys that previous summer. And they said, you know, yeah. we don't want to lock things up right now. This is a prove-it year. Uh, rather than do a bridge deal or take a lower contract, um, he, he basically decided to gamble on himself. And in the 2019-20 season, that was him he was supposed to be showing the Coyotes that he deserved more money, that he could hit that 20 goal mark, that he could really rise to that occasion. And, and he didn't. And that's whatever reason there was for it. He didn't hit that mark. And so the team essentially decided that, you know, that, that wasn't what they wanted. And a lot of teams this year didn't qualify guys. Um, just just so that they could see if they could get some of those contracts for a little bit less, just to, especially without flat cap. And oh, it's going to be so interesting. Mike Hoffman's going to get league minimum. Can't wait. <laughs> it's, that's, I, I have no idea what's going to happen there, but I'm excited to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Vinny, Vinny looked like he wanted to find a new a new situation where he could kind of get a fresh start, and, and that's okay, I think. Well, and no know, better to go back to the guy he he worked out with uh, Coach Quinville, liked using him, and he seemed to like playing for Quinville. So I think it's I, – I mean, I see it as a good fit. So, I mean, for the player, I'm hoping it works out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think even here in Arizona, I think we're all – everyone seems pretty excited to see how he'll do there. Um, well, it's, it's I, by the way, the fact that – so we brought up these guys that the Coyotes have who – they want to see if they can take a step forward. Um, we completely forgot to mention uh, Christian Dvorak. Yeah. 
<laughs> the fact that we didn't even mention him, that's that's wild to me. Um, but that's another guy who, in 70 games, he had 18 goals and 38 points. So he came really close to being over that 20-goal mark for the first time in his career. And uh, he's been a really good two-way center for them. He's been a guy who, on a team where nobody can figure out how to properly take a face-off, <laughs> outside of Brad Richardson, uh, Christian Dvorak locked it in. I, oh, I love Christian Dvorak. That kid's he's, he's fantastic. And he's a yeah. good Chicago boy. So. I see Chicago mission legend. And that's another uh, link between the Blackhawks and Coyotes. Jimmy, do you want to know how Arizona got Christian Dvorak? They traded David Runblad for a second round pick. And that's oh my god, I remember that. Oh, it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts, but you know David what? David Runblad like... trade tree. That's, yeah. that's oh my god, yeah. It's like I... every every team that's traded him has got a good player out of him, but Chicago got a Stanley Cup out of him. So, I mean, he's a <laughs> That's Everybody scary. won That's because scary. the Blues got Tarasenko, the yeah. uh, Coyotes got Christian Dvorak, and the Hawks got a couple with him. I think totally Ottawa, they Ottawa got Kyle Turris out of it, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes. Yeah, it's crazy. They traded him from. So he was traded from the Blues to the Senators for a first round pick, which ended up being Tarasenko. He was yeah. then traded from the Senators. With a second round pick, uh, which became Anthony Stolarz, uh, because the Coyotes then moved that pick to the Flyers. Uh, but yeah. so the Senators gave a second round pick and run Vlad for Kyle Terrace, and then the Coyotes gave Matthew Brisebois and David Runblad to the Blackhawks for mm-hmm. that second round pick that became Christian Dvorak. And as of right now, he is 19 games into his KHL season with uh, Sochi HC, and he has wow. seven points in 19 games. So well, he's doing just swimmingly this year. Good for him. Good for yeah. Good for him. I'm proud. <laughs> of him. Oh, my I'm happy for yeah. him. Yeah, David yeah. Rumbler, we're talking about in that, yeah. Yes, yeah, it yeah. Is. My brother would always tell me because he used East, and he was like, "Yeah, I don't like David Rumbler, but I sure do love his gear setup. I hope we keep him." That was the most amazing thing I've ever heard on a defense of keeping a player. I just have to put that out there. I'll never forget that. I mean, it's it's a fair reason to keep a player. That's that's half the reason I think the Leafs kept Garrett Sparks for as long as they did. Oh, my God, dude. Good Chicago (laughs) Beautiful gear. um, I'm a total gearhead. I can literally, and I'm not kidding, I can name you every single piece of skater gear. Like, I play NHL 21 with this kid, Pierce, here, right? And this kid appears here, right? This good old Canadian Pierce, this good old Canadian kid, you know, good old Canadian Alberta kid. kid eh? Good old Alberta kid, eh? But uh, every five seconds, I'll be, we'll, I'll look at the, I mean, look, I, I just think of it. I'm like Pierce, you know, if I worked for EA, I could change so much with how yeah, the gear looks true. and the gear, the gear true. the players, you know, wear and make it accurate and let the goalies have their actual pads and helmets. And then I, he's probably sick of it by now, but yeah, it, Angel oh, needs more good. character. Oh, yes, of course, yeah. Yeah, no, never could be, never, no, no, of course not. But no, once again, I think the NHL needs a uh, a little more character. That's another. That's another uh, can of worms. Though, whole podcast. To be on, the, on the topic of uh, gear, what did you think about the uh, Arizona Coyotes' new record? That's amazing segue. Oh, um. Don't worry. You'll, you either way, um, you're going to please one person. That's all I can say. So. It is not the worst in terms of aesthetics. 
the yeah. most aesthetically displeasing jersey is the Vancouver Canucks with their gradient. <laughs> All right. yeah. And then the meth bear is nightmare-inducing in Boston. <laughs> I was praying but, they put it on the front. I was praying they put it on the front. <laughs> I, I would have cried. I think I think 2020 can't handle the meth bear on the front of another jersey. Every time someone says it, I think of the the um headline where it's like Florida man is arrested. Says he trained <laughs> says he trained a meth attack squirrel. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, sorry, go back to what? that. I just have to put that in there. That's one of my favorite headlines ever. But anyways, yes, jerseys or whatnot. <laughs> so not the most aesthetically displeasing jersey, but oh. far from the best. It's not pretty. Um, I would not wear it, but it's culturally relevant, <laughs> and I respect that. I think they did a good job for the concept. Uh, I love they did the assignment properly, <clears throat> but I, I didn't like the original jersey. I hated that green jersey, so I'm biased. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've seen that, like, once or twice. Excuse me, I, I forgot that they were even basing it off of that, because it's just kind of, like, in the back of my mind, but... I do like the fact that it looks like, you know, it's like a mountain and the, the beautiful sunset behind it and all that. I really do appreciate that. I appreciate the idea. I just didn't like the uh, – I didn't like the fact that it was just all purple just everywhere. I wish there was a little more of just something there. You know what I mean? Maybe on the shoulders or the, the arms or something. Well, they have the lizard on the shoulder. That's okay, the one thing yeah. they knocked out of the park. They have the little orange Gila monster. And he's amazing. And he's on, they've started rolling out some of the apparel for it. Yeah. And awesome. yeah, the, the flat burn hat, fantastic. It has the giant little orange heel lizard on it. It's a purple hat. And then the sun, like the desert scape that's on the bottom of the jersey is on the flat brim of the hat. Beautiful. Mm, Wonderful. That, Knocked out of the yeah. park. What do you think hey. was the best retro jersey out of all the 31 jerseys? Um... The best. Ooh. There's a few really good ones. I have mine. Not Toronto. Um, <laughs> yes, I love Toronto. Okay, I'm actually I love Toronto besides the Hawks. No, no, I know. I'm saying I love Toronto, Toronto the team. I love the team besides the Hawks. And okay, even someone who loves Leafs, that logo their, is horrendous. Their lowercase jersey. Their lowercase jersey is awful. Um, the the mix matched letters, but I. <laughs> I know it's unpopular. I'm aware it's unpopular. I like the I like the Columbus one. Yes, it's underrated. Yes, it's really underrated. The red and the white's gonna I look so take, good. I actually gotta take a look at that. I wanna I wanna see. It's what very it underrated. Like. I had an entire I had an entire tier list. I was like, I had all these things productive things I could do today. I listed them all down, and I ended up spending it with like an oh, hour. Oh yeah, those are nice. Yeah, I, I forgot. Spent an hour just meticulously making this tier list and they were in my like underrated section them and the predators i will die by that the predators one looks so good in uniform i don't care it's a little ugly but it needs to be ugly because that's what their jerseys were that's what the jerseys were i'm cool with that i'm cool with I that. that's the thing with the coyotes one the coyotes one is a little I'm- ugly because the original is a little ugly yeah i'm warming up to it it's kind of like yeah like there's a weird there's a weird aesthetic in hockey. I feel like it's mostly in hockey with like ugly jerseys. I don't see it in any other sport. Hockey has ugly jerseys and it works. 
it works so well. Like that, the purple jersey. I'm I wasn't a fan at all when I first saw it, but like people are like talking about it. They're like, okay, it's not that bad. Some some people even said they thought it was the best jersey in the whole group, which I don't think I'll ever people agree with. People who like people who like that jersey love that jersey. Yes, like they exactly. love it. You feel one way or the other. You have to. Like I, I'm someone who would buy. Oh man, you remember the McDonald's LA King jerseys and the the McDonald's Wasn't looking safe. Burger King. Burger King? <laughs> King? I'm really thing. mad that the Burger King didn't come back. Oh my god. Oh my god. I would have actually went to Burger King and enjoyed it for the first time, maybe. <laughs> it was incredible. Oh my god. But yeah, I I I love those ugly jerseys, so I might warm up to it. But yeah, it's it's definitely an acquired taste, you know? It really is. With a jersey that out there, you have to hate it or love it. And then there's the Red Wings jersey, which is just the most apathetic. Oh, why, why? They failed. They failed the assignment. They forgot the assignment. They didn't no, do it. Not the assignment. That's the perfect can't forget way. The, can't they forget just, the Islanders one too. They, oh my god. <laughs> so I got the I got the skinny on that earlier today. Um, my podcast co-host um okay. is a huge Islanders fan, and apparently the team. Because he's sad that they didn't bring back the fisherman, but apparently the fisherman logo for the jersey made its it it lived its heyday during not only the Mike Milbury years, but during the years that the what? team was owned by someone who didn't actually pay for the team. And I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember it, but oh, there okay. was there was a guy who basically bought the Islanders without actually spending any money. He like I think promised money and then he loaned money from someone and then loaned money from something else. And like, it was a, he basically created a giant, like multi-level marketings. Like so he was American. To, yes. He, he created like a giant MLM Ponzi scheme and somehow became the owner of the New York Islanders for a brief period in time. And so that oh, was during the Fisherman jersey. Yeah, so I get why they didn't go with that. But that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You want to bring up that era, I guess. Yeah, you don't want to Yeah, like, that's that's yeah, kind of his that. his reasoning. He said that it didn't really make sense to bring that up. But not yeah. enough love's being given to you know who isn't getting enough love is the uh the the New Jersey Devils one. Oh, I cannot agree on that, but I respect uh, I don't it. mind it. I don't mind it. It I might be it might be a generational so thing. Because it's, it it's the David is. Putty jersey. It's the it's David Putty probably. jersey from Seinfeld. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. so <laughs> Okay. Okay. I, I yeah, respect so that. Devils and so any nineties kids who grew up in in that general era of hockey, Holy like man. it's nostalgic. It but that, okay, I can respect that. I can respect that. There's a there's a reason for it. There's an origin and whatnot. Okay, okay. Especially if it's Seinfeld. Seinfeld's a timeless show. Yeah, for like sure. Yeah. And okay, I got. Sorry, yeah. my favorite jerseys were the Kings ones. I love the purple yes. and yellow, like the Lakers, and I also like the Calgary Flames one. Those are so, my favorites. I think the Calgary Flames one is one of the best because I, I love Blasty. I think yes. it's great. 
Oh my god, sorry. There were so many old people that were like, oh, this is terrible. Oh, no, Blasty's the shit, man. Blasty is awesome. So, no, no, don't even talk on Blasty, no. But they took, so, like I said, the the Canucks failed the assignment. They didn't didn't understand the assignment. They didn't try. They didn't do their homework. Tried too hard. The jersey that they should have gone with was their Chevron. And. The Flames took it instead. So the Flames took uh, Jacob Markstrom, yeah. Chris yeah, Tannen, and they took everything. They had to make him feel at home. That's right. I know exactly where you're going. <laughs> oh, another one. People said they should use the Johnny Canuck logo. A lot of Canucks fans do not like their uh, their logo at the moment. They really the logo is okay, but using it for this particular jersey, I thought was no, no, was a little no. silly. It was silly. Man, as a Blackhawks fan, I'm a bit uh, – this is a great conversation we're having. I feel like this is the most meaningful conversation in any bit of hockey media out there is the jerseys. Oh, yeah. I really do. Capitals one doesn't get enough love. I feel like I think that's an incredible jersey. Yeah. My top four yeah. were um, – Like how they mix the 90s logo with like their current colors kind of thing. Yeah. Like that. The Capitals one was just – it was like the perfect storm. They used the right logo. They took the right colors. They took the right jersey, and they put it all together. They yep. topped their alternate. The, the, the alternate is like the, the the lighter red, blue, and white ones. I was like, I, w- I would die on the hill that they should wear those. No, this is this should be their jersey forever, and I I will die on that hill. It's perfect. And I'm, I'm sad they didn't use their Capitol Hill jersey. But. Oh, that's pretty good too. That's really good too. So, I think the eagle just works with the uh, the slant <laughs> they have there. And it works really well. The Capitol would have been really good too. So I don't feel very strongly about jerseys, but there's one jersey and logo that I do not like at all. It's the Anaheim Ducks, and I also do not like what they did with their retro jersey. What? No, I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan, sorry. I'm not a fan of you. Oh, wow. All right. All right. I'm going to leave. See you. I'm finding a different podcast. I can't even respect that. Oh, a really underrated one is the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, I like... They kind of had that 04 look. It's... Oh, I'm like... God, it's just like it's just nostalgia for me, you know. Oh, you know what? The first game I ever played, the first the first thing that got me into hockey was NHL 06 with Vanille Cavalier wearing that logo. I think I'm gonna find out why I like it so much. But yeah, that jersey is just the blue. The blue is the perfect color. It, it's just so perfectly simple. And of course, the Liberty. We can't, you know. That's we all stand Liberty in this house in this podcast. Very good logo. All right. Um. So it's been like an hour and a half, pretty much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we don't want to keep you on for too long, Catherine. So before we uh, end things off, surprisingly, we didn't actually get any Twitter questions, which is weird. Because sometimes we'll get like 10, but then sometimes we'll get like zero, which is weird. But whatever. They're missing out. Anyways, so we're just going to ask. I'm just going to do like, a, I guess, like a, a quick round, a lightning round or whatever question. So here's the first question. What is your favorite movie of all time? Or maybe like list some of your favorite movies of all time. <sighs> Goodwill Hunting. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Lance, Matt Damon. Perfect so movie. Good. So good. Robin Just Williams won an Oscar picture. for that movie. Yeah. Oh, good. Deserved. Yeah, definitely. Wow. I didn't know he was on the film book. <laughs> All right. Next question. Favorite band slash album slash song? Ooh. Um, brand new. You won't know off of The Devil and God is Raging Inside Us. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'll have to check that out then. That's off the checkout. And uh, here's a couple more. Um, favorite TV show of all time? Favorite TV show? Ooh. Um. Hmm. Stumped you. You did. <laughs> I. I was expecting Seinfeld right away since we were on the topic. Get it <laughs> in your mind. No, I I don't have any any TV shows that I I have like a rabid fandom for. I enjoy a lot of TV shows, but sure, sure. there are only a few that I've rewatched more than once. Um, I I rewatched Game of Thrones before each successive uh, season. Um, I'm working on I've that one right now. So good. All the way through. A couple times i've seen one tree hill all the way through a couple times um Ooh, hold up that's, that's about it. what do you, do you have you watched breaking bad yet did not like it Whoa, really wow. that's a hot right. take that's, that's a, a hot that's, take oh, wow we could have a whole podcast on that i feel because I, no, no I just i have I just to watching it i love that that's why my favorite show he just watched it and loved it i have to respect the hot take though very yeah, bold I like, I like that because it's like anonymously like one of the best TV shows of all time. So I like I like how you went against the grain. I like that. I can respect sure. that. Uh, final two questions. Uh, the second last question. Favorite book of all time. Um, of all time. Yeah, or just a favorite book, I guess. Yeah. Uh, What's a good old book to read? A good old book. To I, read. I feel I feel snobby. Uh, but East, of, <laughs> East of Eden. Hmm? East of Eden. It's a John Steinbeck book. Um, okay. I believe, didn't he write um, of, of, of Mice and Men, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. Uh, of yes. Mice and Men, Grapes of Wrath, and East of Eden. Yeah. I Grapes agree. of Wrath. Okay, that's you're speaking my language. Okay, you're speaking my language there. Great um, Veggie Tales episode. And the last question, obviously the most important question, we saved it for last. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? No. <laughs> yes! Yes! No. So I think we can all okay. agree on a great, a great uh, thing to end the podcast on. Certified so, great podcast, yes. <laughs> so thank you so much, Catherine, for coming on. It was nice to discuss some uh, goaltending because usually we don't get that kind of insight from goaltending and also just discussing jerseys and just goaltending and others. Jerseys are the most important topics in hockey, and you can't deny yes. that right now. Yes. With all the nothing going on. Appreciate Before we that. leave, Catherine, do you have anything to plug for work or anything? Like anything you're working on or anything you do on the side? And your podcast, I'm sure you Yeah, got. your podcast, yeah. Um, yeah, I've got... If, if people follow me on Twitter at Catam Silverman, uh, like I said, we've got some, some prospect grades coming up for Elite Prospects oh, in the yeah. next couple weeks. We've got a some NHL goaltender tandem grades coming up for McKean's oh, nice. hockey in the next couple weeks. Um, I've oh, got yeah. my, the podcast I'm on three cheers for goaltender interference. Um, <laughs> I love that. Which idea. just gets, we, we get dumber every week. So if people oh, enjoy, oh, yeah. if people enjoy hot takes, then then they can find and they can find that through my Twitter too. So hey, well, you know what, Catherine, I really hope you enjoy that right now. The uh, the two and a half followers you send we send your way. I really do. Appreciate <laughs> yeah, that's, it. That's being a little too friendly, I think. 
Well, yeah. Thank you, Catherine, for coming on. Thank you for being so gracious with your time. And hopefully this isn't, oh, yeah. we can talk again sometime. Hope you're staying well right now. It's a crazy time out there, but seriously, uh, like yeah. seriously, thank you for your time. You stayed a very, a very long time. I really appreciate that. And uh great conversation about, uh, Again, the most important uh, aspects of hockey. The hard-hitting facts in hockey. Yes. Goaltending in jerseys. Love it. Yes. All right, Catherine. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. All right. You have a good one. You too. Peace.